Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Good morning, y'all. How's everybody doing? (laughs) Starting off with the question of the day. All right, Uh, we are going to be talking about our next reunion value, which is generosity. So nice segue from our generosity liturgy. Um, But I just wanna say I'm really happy to see everybody here today. A lot of faces that we haven't seen in a while. Um, Summer has a lot of us traveling and I'm happy to hear that and see that God has kept you all. Um, If you're tuning in online, good to see you all. Um, My wife is tuning in online. Hi, Rachel. Um, let's pray. Father, you are good in everything that you do. You are perfect in everything that you are. And we pause to just acknowledge your very being. Father, send your spirit to dwell among us today and move. Move and prepare our hearts, allow us to receive, allow us to consider, allow us to reflect, and may we be transformed by your gospel and the story of what you did through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross for our salvation. And for that, we say thank you. It's the greatest gift of all. Have your way in this moment. Let this be all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, so, As I stated, we're continuing in our discussion on generosity. We're gonna look at 2 Corinthians chapter eight. It'll come up right here on the screen. Let's read. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete and er incomplete and earnest, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, 
the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Lord. So about seven years ago in 2016, I was in the early stages of wrestling with my call to ministry, which would eventually lead me to pursuing ministry as a vocation. And it was a very interesting time, had lots of questions, more questions probably than answers, but one helpful tool that was available to me was a book called Shape by Eric Ries. And SHAPE it is an acronym that the book uses as a framework. It's your spiritual gifts, your heart's passions, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. And uh, the author guides readers in a reflection on who God uniquely created us to be, the fearfully and wonderfully made beings that we are, and to submit that to God to see what is um, happening in the world that God could potentially be calling us to, to uh, find ourselves at that intersection, which is our calling. Um, so the first section of that book focused on spiritual gifts. And um, spiritual gifts are different abilities that believers in Jesus Christ have by uh, way of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just like your talent or your natural ability, but the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, cultivating um, specific and unique abilities for the advancement of the kingdom. Those are the spiritual gifts. And the author identified 19 different potential gifts based on what's mentioned in scripture and created an assessment to help us identify what they are. So I'm taking this assessment, I'm reading this book, and I'm like, okay, I can't wait to see what you know, my spiritual gifts are. Right? I am just totally nerding out and geeking out. And um, I get the results and I'm going down the list and it's like, okay, cool, like, you know, wisdom, nice, okay, cool, you know, administration. I'm going down the list, you know, number eight, number seven, da da da. And all the way at the bottom, number 19 on the list is giving way, 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 way low, like last place. So apparently I have the spiritual gift of being cheap. And uh, if you ask Russell, he can verify this because I know how to get a deal, all right? I know the coupons. I got the apps, okay? I know when to book online because the prices go down, all right? I love a good deal and, you know, it's a spiritual gift of being cheap. Um, so it's fun. I like, I'm answering these questions now I'm thinking about it and they're going through different things and you gotta rate it from one to five and quick disclaimer spiritual gifts test like can't nobody tell you what you're called to do like the Holy Spirit all right so you can sit there you can take a test you can fill out a little survey right it's a tool but you know you take these things with a grain of salt walking with Jesus will allow you to know exactly what it is that you're called to do in the world but you know I'm getting started, so I'm taking this little survey, and I'm ranking different experiences from one to five, one being never, five being always, and asking things like, I find ways to give offerings above my tithe. Nope, one. 
making more money means that I can give more. Nope. Like, I'm just like checking these things off. <laughs> I, I'm being real, y'all. It's that type of Sunday. Um, so that, that's how I ended up with number 19 being giving. So I'm like rolling my eyes as I usually do when I get my topics to preach on because I'm like, really, generosity? Like, covenant community, that's my jam. Like, hospitality, you know, that's me. But here I am, number 19, preaching on generosity. So thanks, Jesus. Um, but as I prepared the sermon for this week, I was reflecting on some of the messages that I received growing up surrounding uh, generosity, well, surrounding giving in church. Um, and I realized, like, well, how did I end up with giving being, like, number 19 and me struggling so much to be generous and to be free with my resources? And I realized that it probably has something to do with how I was raised, um, especially in the church context, learning about giving in the first time, in the first place. So tithe and offering time, growing up, always started with a question. Will a man rob God? Right? So it's just kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> Am I, am I about to, like, rob God? Like, I'm not taking money out the plate. I'm just not necessarily putting money in the plate. So is it robbing, right? And not only that, but it's like, not will a man rob God once, but we had two, sometimes three offerings per Sunday. So, like, that plate would come around, right? It's either you're getting up and you're walking to the front to put your money in the basket, or they're passing a plate back and forth, right? So it's that, like, ooh, like, if I don't have anything to give, like, everybody's going to see, everybody's going to notice, right? There's that tension and that complexity. So not really inspiring, um, for the right reasons, at least. And then there was another message that was like, if you don't tithe, you're going to be cursed with a curse. And it's just kind of like, oh, wow, this is very uh, optimistic and uplifting. Um, giving, like, I, listen, I've been, I've been through it, y'all. So... <laughs> There was even one time where they would count the offering like in the service, like in the middle of the service at the table. And it's like, listen, y'all, we need $1,137. And we only have 837 in this bucket. So we're going to go back around <laughs> and we are not going to move on from this service. And we don't want to be here all night because we need to make this desired amount. So we would literally pause service until that money was in that bucket. And then they was like, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. We raised 1,500, isn't God amazing? This is a God of overflow, wow. So when I considered, when I did the math, <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe there's something connected to giving and the way we talk about money in church and how I ended up actually inclined to give less instead of being joyfully inspired by what the Holy Spirit is doing to give more abundantly and more freely. And it was so awkward because all the while they're saying all these things and they want to play this like happy song while offering time is happening. I'm like, you just told me I'm cursed. This song is not doing it. But that's my story, right? But it's very real. There are a lot of tensions around giving generosity and, and being generous to others. And those reasons are real. One of them being scarcity. That could be one potential reason why it's a struggle to be generous. Um, there are genuine needs that people have 
that need to be met. And sometimes those create barriers to being as, genu as genuinely generous as somebody may uh, want to be. And survival is real, and there are actual implications for not having the resources. So there's no shame in that. If you are in a position where you just cannot give in the way that you want to, that's not a place for you to experience shame, or it's not a put down, that's a real thing in life. Um, another barrier to generosity sometimes can be that it just seems unfair, right? Like, it's your money, right? It, I work for it, right? Like, this is my money and I need it now, right? <laughs> Anybody hear that commercial? That's all I heard as I was preparing this. It's like, ah, I need it now. Um, it's your money, you worked hard for it, you want to enjoy it, right? And that's a real thing, especially when you work really, really hard. You don't want to just give it to somebody that hasn't worked as hard or seemed as deserving. That's something that goes on in our hearts when it's time to be generous. And no, the truth is nobody knows your story like you do. Nobody knows what you had to do and what you went through in order to have what you have. And when there is some sort of trial or struggle that is associated with earning, there can also sometimes be a sense of attachment to it as well that makes it difficult for us to release it. And if we're gonna keep it real, another reason why generosity can be challenging is just a lack of trust. Where is this money actually going? Like, am I actually uh, going to see a return on investment by being generous in this moment? The truth is that people have done some really dishonest things with the funds of others. So there's no, um, there's no like, reason why we shouldn't have just a teensy-weensy bit of skepticism when it comes to being generous. Am I talking to anybody in here today? It's real. <laughs> it's really, really real. Um, so for those of us that struggle in this area, sometimes we get labeled as stingy or selfish or cheap, but the truth is sometimes giving is just really challenging. And by God's grace, I want us to talk today about how Jesus is calling us to a life where we can be sacrificially generous and desire to give of ourselves to the benefit of others simply because of what Jesus has done. It's not because of a scary thing that somebody says over the pulpit. It's not because of a, 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 a fear-based mentality. It's out of the joy of knowing what Jesus did. So Paul talks about that. Um, in our text that we just read in 2 Corinthians. And his relationship with the Corinthians was a bit of a rocky one. He established this church at Corinth after a year and a half missionary stay, but when he left there, he got word that the church slipped into some unhealthy habits. They were divided about their allegiance to certain leaders. They were torn about uh, food sacrificed to other gods, and they were loose when it came to sexual morality and relationships. Their theology about the resurrection of Jesus was all over the place and jacked up. Their gatherings were chaotic with people, you wanna talk about spiritual gifts, or spiritual gifts doing backflips all throughout the church, couldn't have a church service. It was just rather chaotic. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians um, to correct these matters and he, he got them together as we would say. And at the end of that letter, Paul gave them a directive. At the end of 1 Corinthians, that directive was that Paul told the Corinthians to set aside a sum of money of their income each week to be collected and sent to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, the Christians there were uh, 
serving many widows, which was one of the commandments that they were supposed to do, as well as enduring a hard famine. So they really didn't have much, and the Corinthians and the various churches that Paul went to commanded them to gather money of their income to be able to serve the other Christians that were in need. So some of the Corinthians didn't receive first, his first Corinthians letter too well. They were upset. Um, there was beef between the church and Paul, and they went back and forth. So Paul pulled up in person and was like, hey, I'm here now. What you got to say? Um, and then they talked some things out. It was a painful visit, um, but they were able to reconcile. And after that reconciliation, Paul wrote a second letter uh, called 2 Corinthians, which is where we are now, to encourage them in love and to reconcile and repair that relationship that he has with, that with the church. Part of that letter was recentering their attention on his previous directive in the last letter to collect money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem, Jerusalem because amidst all the beef, amidst all the chaos, amidst all the conflict, they had gotten sidetracked from that directive. So Paul is like, I don't want us to lose focus. Let's remember to be generous. So let's pick up in verse 8 and see, I mean, verse 1, chapter 8. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They first gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us also. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a, begin made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnest, and in complete earnest and in the love that we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. So the Macedonians were a church in northern Greece, and um, they were in poverty by, they were in poverty after being conquered by the Roman Empire. So they were in poverty, this church, the Macedonians, they're overtaken by the Romans, but even though they couldn't give much monetarily, they still had an abundance of joy that they had to give with. It was an essence, it was a spirit, it was a sentiment of giving, even though resourcefully, they didn't have much. And this sets up a th the theme, the main theme of the scripture, which has less to do with the act of just generosity or even the content or the substance of the generosity, but it's more so the desire, the mindset, the call to generosity um, and to stand for the needs of others. The Macedonians begged urged and pleaded with Paul to give. This group of people that didn't have much, but they knew that they wanted to be able to stand with their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So they genuinely were not discouraged by those limitations. Now the reason why Macedonian giving is exemplary is not because it's irresponsible. This is not an encouragement to abandon all of your responsibilities and neglect your needs altogether. But the gift of the Macedonians was exemplary because it was sacrificial. Their giving wasn't easy. They weren't giving because they were forced. After all, they were the ones that begged Paul to do the giving. 
They weren't giving because they had so much overflow that they wouldn't notice that something left or went away. No, they gave sacrificially in a way that they could feel it. It cost them something to be able to give. They had to give up a part of themselves so that the other can benefit. Now, you may think you feel it the most when you don't have much to give, but it's also very easy to feel giving when you have an abundance to give. In 2021, I was unemployed. I was on unemployment and I was working all kinds of odd jobs in order to make some money and some income a couple months before my wedding, so I'm really stressed out. And I'm doing DoorDash, I'm doing a little catering here, I'm on unemployment, and it's just like trying to do what I can just to sustain and do what I gotta do and also be married in a couple months. Um, no stress, um, high stress. But I had that internal wiring from childhood just to tithe, right? Just to give, just to give. Um, but it was almost ritualistic. It was just embedded in me by fear, right? Because, you know, you heard the story, right? So, you know, I'm like, okay, unemployment or not, like, I'm still going to give. And I'm grateful for God's grace in my life to be able to do that. It wasn't much, right? But it was something. Now, you would think that after being unemployed and not having much and still giving, that when I'm finally employed and God comes through and he does what he's supposed to do, that giving now would just become so easy. Not the story of Brandon's life. Spiritual gift of being cheap. I'm being real, y'all. When I got employed, I did the calculations, and then I said, <sighs> mm. Did I do this right? So I'm like retyping the numbers in. Cause I was like, ooh, that's a, that's a not small number. Like, do they need that for real? Like, like if, I, if everybody does this, that, ooh, ooh. I felt it because I had grown, that, the, the, the tension there was just like, it was releasing more than I had been accustomed to. In some way, having less, it was easier to give than when I had more. So either way, I still committed to giving. I still committed to still being faithful because I knew that if God was faithful to me then, God will continue to be faithful, and I just had to trust him with my resources. And I think really what it was tied to was that scarcity. I remembered the pain of unemployment, right? So giving was just kind of like, ugh right? Releasing that reminds you of like what it feels like to have nothing or what it feels like to have less. And those are real tensions that we experience in life today for a lot of us. So again, giving and generosity is not easy. But Jesus uh, was able to move on my heart, thankfully. Um, so generosity, when we're limited and what we can do. Generosity is a resourceful sacrifice. Uh, generosity, when you have plenty to give, is an idle sacrifice. Whoa, pause. I don't mean that we're sacrificing to an idol when we have plenty to give. What I'm saying is that we are sacrificing our idols, the idols of our heart, when we have plenty to give and we're still giving sacrificially. It's not that you're sacrificing to an idol, but you're laying down the idols of greed that can consume our heart. We're laying down the idols of selfishness that can consume our heart. We're laying down the idols of control 
and being able to predict the future and, and make sure that you have what you need because of the calculations that you've done in your budget spreadsheet versus trusting God and trusting that God is in control with your resources and making sure that you will have what you need and provide for you. So this is one of the major countercultural aspects of Christianity. Culture says it's all about me and mine. I'm gonna make sure I'm good and I might help you along the way, but not at the expense of my health, not at the expense of my comfort, not at the expense of the certainty that my needs will be met. Me first, and then I'll make sure that you have what you need if, if you deserve it, or if you earn my respect, or if you prove that you actually need it. But to follow Christ actually means the opposite. To follow Christ means to follow his true example of generosity. What did, I hate to say, what did Jesus do? But actually, what did Jesus do? Verse 8, it says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. Again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave sacrificially in a way that we could never even have thought of. Jesus gave up his rich, priestly, powerful, supernatural status in heaven and in and nature in heaven, he had a full communion with God. He was free from pain, free from death. He was, honestly, he had the life. <laughs> he had the life in heaven, and he gave that up to come to earth. He gave up the high life. He gave up the riches to experience life as we live it. Experience pain as we feel it. No betrayal as we grieve it, and fight temptation as we endure it, and he died a death. He did that. The greatest act of generosity, bearing on his shoulders the sins that he never committed, and he did it generously. He did it sacrificially. He did it in a way that caused pain. He did it in a way that he could feel it. He left where he was to stand in a place with those in need. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing that we could have done. We didn't earn it, really. We can't work our way into the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't have to prove that we need it. Jesus is very clearly knowing exactly the nature of the sin that's going on in the world. But Jesus did an act. What Jesus did, he did as an act of generous grace. And that's the mindset that we are called to live with and to remember as we bestow generosity unto others. So here I want to share with us three principles of sacrificial giving. The three principles, and I'm going to leave this with you before we go, is the desire to give, the completion of giving, and the equity of giving. And Paul, in verse 10, <clears throat> he shares this. He says, and my judgment, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in, matter, in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but to have the desire to do so. As we're praying, as we're talking to the Lord about giving, Let's not start with the amount, right? Let's not start with, God, what do I give? Who do I give to? Let's start with praying for the desire. It's the heart of the matter. The, the Macedonians had a desire and a heart to give. The Corinthians, 
Um, before things got tense, had the desire and the heart to give, their commitment to the cause preceded their fundraising, their generosity, or their donations. And this is a worthy place to start, starting with the heart of the matter. God, give us the desire to be generous. Lord, take me from 19. Take me a little bit higher as I think about what you've done for me. Um, how can we be generous? And then also, yes, reveal where and how you want me to be generous. Generous, if my resources are, are low, how can I be generous with my time? What is the time that you want me to give? How can I carve out my schedule to be present for somebody, to stand with somebody, to sit with somebody? How can I be present in the gifts that you have given me, right? My gift of hospitality. How can I use this home that you bless me with to welcome people in that feel alone, right? These are all acts of generosity. Even though Paul is talking about a collection, it's not limited in any way, shape, or form just to the funds. And then next after the desire is the completion to give. Verse 11 says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. It's possible to get stuck in the willingness of giving. Like, yeah, I'll give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I should do this. I have a desire to do it, but the desire to do it does not respond to the needs of people in need. We can have all the desire in the world, but the suffering won't come to uh, relief and reform if we don't actually act out and complete the act of giving. So the reasons, a lot of reasons why we might get stuck there, but one being if we can get stuck because we wonder if what we're giving is actually enough to make an impact. And Paul is saying that the acceptance of your gift is not according uh, to what you don't have. It's according to what you have. So if you have the earnest desire to give and to be generous and to be um, of support to those that are in need, don't, you don't have to wait until you have this incredible, mind-blowing, earth-shattering lump sum. Act on what God is putting on the inside of your heart and allow him to multiply it, allow him to move on it, and allow him to minister to the individual or the group or whoever it, whoever it is that God is calling you to be generous toward. Um, and don't try to play God and do the mathematics on your own. Like, oh, I need to do this in order for it to be generous enough. If God is placing that on the inside of your heart, trust him to do the work for you, both for you and for the person that's receiving. So completion is important and desire is important. But a key thing here that I want to highlight is that Paul is talking about the equity of giving. Let's go to verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So this word equality, the Greek word for what's written as equality is istasis, isates, isates. And it says equality, but really it's more so meaning equity than equality. What's the difference between equity and equality? I have, um, it's a very common graphic um, 
here on the screen that depicts the difference between equality and equity. Equality is that everybody has the same thing. Yay, super fair, right? Super same, right? If I have the same amount, that means that, you know, it's, it's fair, right? That's not quite true because everybody may not be advantaged in the same way. So if everybody has the same thing, that doesn't make it fair, but it does make it equal. What Paul is actually talking about in terms of generosity is isates, which is equity, which is fairness, that everybody has access to the appropriate things, uh, resources, so that we all can be able to have access to the things that are um, available to us. So equity is balancing the power dynamic in a way that is fair and ensures access for all. And our giving, our generosity should be done with a spirit of equity. So some Corinthians, and perhaps some of us may hear this and say, you're infringing upon my rights in order to like worry about the needs of others. But Paul is saying that by being equity-minded, the goal is not to make your life unfair and distressed. But on the other hand, we're called to be aware of how our rights, our privileges, and our access can be leveraged and even sometimes surrendered so that those that are marginalized or oppressed or in need can catch up. And again, as I hear that, it's that nostalgic commercial playing, it's my money and I need it now. Um, but that can, that, that can be difficult for some of us. Um, we work for it, and it's like, oh, it's my, it's my money. I need it now. I need it more than other people. And it's not fair that my money goes to those that haven't worked as hard or don't deserve it. And my response to that is, might I remind you of verse 9? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you through his poverty, might become rich. If we think we shouldn't give of ourselves for the benefit of the undeserving, then I invite you to consider the sacrifice of Jesus. We are indeed supposed to be generously sacrificial and to desire to give of ourselves to benefit each other. And being generous toward each other uh, is a symbiotic relationship. This week, it might be you. And you might be the one that's generous and giving, but in the blink of an eye, with one moment of life, with one decision, with one experience, you might be the person that finds themselves in need or in a position to be the recipient of somebody else's generosity. And that's a reality that crosses every barrier line that we can ever think of. It can be us. So as we're generous to others, we know that as part of the body of Christ, there just might be an opportunity in some way, shape, or form for others to be generous towards us. So deep breath. The good news is that we are living today with hope of an eternal future with Jesus in heaven because of an act of generosity. It's a life-changing, truth-altering, non-compulsive act of generosity that was given to us for the transformation of our lives, for it to be one that's ended by death to one that's continued in eternity through faith in Jesus Christ. 
There's no greater love, no greater generosity than that. How can we show the love and the truth of Jesus Christ in the world? By displaying that for others, by being generous towards others, by sacrificing, even if it means giving up of ourselves, in an act of generosity to others. Now, I praise God for what he's done in my life in transforming the way I see generosity and, and, um, and growing there. But if I had to be honest, if I took the spiritual gifts test today, right now, at this moment, I don't know if I would be, like, at the top of the list from where I was in 2016. In fact, I tried. I was like, you know, I wrote that sentence in my notes. I was like, why don't I just take the test again? The test I took, I was so annoyed. They only gave me the top five. I was like, I don't want the top five. I want to know where I am in giving. But the truth is, giving has not reached the top five for me yet. <laughs> and that's transparently speaking. So if, if you're struggling in your journey, hey, we are walking this thing out together. We are figuring it out together. But as a community, let's remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Um, and I hope we're encouraged by that knowledge of a love that cannot be replaced. Let's pray.